Is everything plugged in? You are a turd. <laughs> Time will only tell. It appears Let's to be. Let's see what happens today. Gosh. Welcome back, guys. I'm hoping we sound a lot better this week. Last week, I will take responsibility. No, it was no, my fault. I tripped was, over a cord. It was totally <laughs> Scott's fault. Yeah. There he is. <laughs> On our podcast board, we, we're not sponsored or anything, but we've got a road podcasting board, and it's very nice, but you have to, to plug it into my Mac. And turn this. it on. Well, it was on. It we was can, on. Because oh. in it our ears, yeah. yeah, in our ears, we could hear everything as it's supposed to sound. But that little cord that goes to the MacBook, it's it very obviously important. wasn't wasn't there. Is it plugged in today? It is. It's a very important and cord. I, for what it's worth, I will never click a pin again because Ugh. all that anybody heard last week was me clicking my pen. Now you yes. know what we hear every week. Yeah, but nobody else did. I right. know because right. we also have the sure podcasting mics like we've we've got real equipment in here y'all may not believe us this is a nice studio it is as long as everything is working correctly <laughs> right. as long as you, you just don't trip over any more cords don't I walk will, through the studio i've got to stop getting drunk before we do this podcast <laughs> okay. we've, we've, we've uh, and i'm starting that next week i was gonna say we thought that was gonna happen in season three but mm-hmm. maybe season four mm, yeah yeah <laughs> uh, stick around but look i, I just want to say a few more things that it was kind of hard to, to hear last week week i listened back to it just so that i could suffer along with everybody else um but i do want to emphasize that we do have some new things coming this season and and we're excited about it so is there that's, any new equipment no our equipment is fine yeah okay. it's just don't walk around the studio <sighs> in between yeah we we're gonna get a roll of duct tape and tape things down to the carpet yeah so that i don't trip over stuff and pull things out <laughs> Yeah, it happens. Technical, you know, issues happen everywhere. I think it's going to be our best episode ever just because people will listen and go, that sounded weird. Oh, no, I thought you meant this week will be the best because people will be like, thank the Lord. Well, maybe that. Yeah, we'll see what happens. We're only going up from here. So (laughs) let's do this. My name is Kelly Turner and I'm not a doctor. I'm Katie Givens. I'm not a lawyer. Scott Wright, mediocre journalist. And what you got on deck today, Scott? Uh, we're going to do John Wayne Gacy part two. Okay. So uh, you guys were texting me back and forth. Um, we have our little group. Text. Was I? I was drunk. I don't remember. Well, remind me. You guys were talking about the Netflix documentary. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Conversations with the killer. Yes. And it was the John Wayne Gacy version. They have other serial killers. But it's about, what, four episodes? Three. It's three one-hour episodes. Yeah. Okay. So we were sort of watching those, and I, I focused mostly on watching the last one because that's that's what Scott had told us to do. And Katie's comment was so funny. It was like, "How? What? what I can't stand to hear him talk, and I hate his face." Yes. Is that, <laughs> yeah. That's all true. Yeah. Without the clown makeup, he still is hard to look at. I didn't know what he looked like. I don't guess. And then mm-hmm. so just putting his face to the voice to the crime. Yeah, I don't like it. His yeah. voice is not unpleasant, but I have I I think I figured out why you did not like his face. Mm-hmm. His face is like they took a butt and they filled in the crack and then they took a very small eyes, nose and I'm mouth. Trying to hold it together right and now. Put that right in the middle. Because yeah. there's so much excess. He does have like a, a, moon, face. a moon face, yeah. And is a moon face, yeah. Okay, that that's that's right. what his face looks yeah. like. If mm-hmm. you filled in a crack and stuck 
That's what it looks like. Okay. And then made it pure evil. And that's why I yeah. think you didn't like it. And then, it. yeah, sprinkled pure evil over the top. And it, I don't think it was like his, the sound of his voice I didn't like. No, I didn't like how casually he discussed the things. That he was did. it. And that was what the cops always said. He talked about what he did so casually. Oh, it was like nothing. Like it was nothing. Mm-hmm. Like he was describing backing into a parking space. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. What, is he the worst person we've talked about so far? Mm-hmm. I don't know. We've done the Golden State Killer. Yeah, we've done some pretty. We've done Ed one. Kemper. Yeah, it's kind of. We're gonna weird. drop the. I'm gonna drop what? those names today. Why is it I that just we did. hate Gacy so much more than? I mean, I think we all we we hate all of these. People. That's fair. I think it's hearing but, him talk about what he did. Is yeah. it him? Because Kemper. Kemper did, did the same thing. If you think about it, he was very nonchalant, but he was. Yeah, Why is Kemper, I put her in the car, and I, you know. Gacy's the same. A little bit to me, he was more charming than I think. Well, um, and I, I the Golden I, State Killer wasn't charming. He's not spoke to anyone. Yeah, he's just sitting there, old and frail. Mm-hmm. So uh, well, I, I, think, I don't really know. I think Kemper. It was. It wasn't hard to figure out that there was something mentally wrong with him. But John Wayne Gacy sounds like the guy at the bar sitting beside you. He seems normal. He's the got a successful one, business. Yes. Uh, certainly the annoying one, mm-hmm. but seems normal in so many ways. And then you find out they found 29 dead bodies in his crawl space. Yeah. It's, ugh. All right. Well, let's, let's take us through the rest of this story then, Scott. So I think it's safe for most true crime fans to think that we have heard the name of John Wayne Gacy before, right? Yes. If you're a true crime fan, you've heard his name. Even before we get uh, began last week's two-part series. Yes. Regardless of that, we apologize for last week's technical error in which you may not have heard his name as clearly as you should have. But we've corrected that. We've discussed that in the opening. Mm-hmm. Things happen. But who among us has ever heard of the name of Timothy McCoy or John Zick or Gregory Godzik or Robert Peaced. Probably not very many. Even among true crime fans. That changes today. There's not a ton to be known about the victims of the killer clown of Chicago. But we're going to tell you a few of those things today. Last week we talked about John Wayne Gacy. This week we're going to talk about his victims. Almost all 33 of John Wayne Gacy's known victims were born in the 60s. Into an increasingly violent United States of America, civil rights protesters were being beaten in the streets. There were riots, assassinations, and of course, there was the ever-increasing anger over the seemingly endless suffering that was the Vietnam War. As David Nelson wrote in his 2021 book about Gacy's victims entitled, Boys Enter the House, these young men grew up in the next decade. America in the 1970s was surrounded by, quote, a world full of music, change, darkness, and love, light and dark, unquote. When we cliffhung our listeners last week, John Wayne Gacy had recently finished serving a little over one year 
of a 10-year sentence for sexually assaulting a teenage boy, a crime that had occurred when he was living with his first family in Waterloo, Iowa. After that conviction, Gacy's marriage was over. He never saw his children again. Good. Yeah, good. (laughs) Why did he only serve a year? It's the way it was. Parole board? Back then, sure. He was a model prisoner. He was running the kitchen Mm -hmm. in the prison in no time because of his experience running the Kentucky Fried Chicken restaurants. Mm -hmm. He became a model prisoner. He worked the system. He got out. And wasn't he in like the lower scale prison too? Yes, it was the Anamosa uh, Correctional Facility. It wasn't a a hardcore penitentiary. It was it was a reformatory, is what it right. was called. Yes, that's it was that's a reformatory. I and I think today you would get the hardcore penitentiary for that crime, that same crime. And there's a reason for that. Yeah, yeah. You would get a different setting. Yeah, and you grab don't get a, out for being a model prisoner. Grab a handful of hair because you're going to pull it out before this is over. Okay. So when he got out in June of 1970, he moved to Chicago and lived with his mother. He, he was able to cross state lines to serve his parole. His father had passed away while he was in prison. So after he relocated to the Windy City, it was two years before Gacy could no longer resist the ever-present temptation that he had to sexually assault another teenage boy. The first known murder victim of John Wayne Gacy was Timothy McCoy, age 16. Gacy never knew his name. When he confessed to the murder years later, Gacy called him the boy on the Greyhound bus. For such a young person, Timothy McCoy was actually uh, pretty well-traveled. He'd seen a lot of the country, which was commonplace in the 70s. He hitchhiked. We talked about that when we talked about Ed Kemper, the co-ed killer, back in August of last year. Timothy McCoy's last Christmas was the Christmas of 1971. He spent it with relatives in Michigan. He had traveled there to visit them from his home in Lincoln, Nebraska. He was headed home on a Greyhound bus from Lansing. That's the last time his aunt and uncle ever saw him or anyone else in his family. They hugged him and kissed him and put him on a bus. And he got to Chicago to the huge, giant Greyhound bus terminal that was five stories tall and took up an entire city block in Chicago. And he had a few overnight hours to kill before his bus home to Lincoln was going to get there. That was January the 2nd of 1972. It was 16 years before his family knew what happened to him in Chicago that night. Oh my gosh. John Wayne Gacy coaxed McCoy into his black Oldsmobile, the one that had the mounted red light that made it look like a police car. Oh God. Gacy had a police badge and a leather jacket. We don't know exactly what happened that night. But he took him home to his house, which was empty that night because Gacy's mother, Marion, was spending the night with her daughter, Gacy's younger sister. According to the story that Gacy told later, and you can take this for what it's worth, he had no intention of killing that man, that young man, that teenager, that 16-year-old boy. 
After what Gacy said was consensual sex between the two of them, they retired to separate bedrooms with plans for Gacy to drop him off the next morning at the Greyhound bus terminal so he could continue home to Lincoln, Nebraska. Gacy's story is that the next morning when he woke up, that boy was standing in his bedroom door with a knife. And so Gacy overpowered him, took the knife away, stabbed him, and killed him. Only afterwards realizing that he had probably come in to ask how many slices of bacon he wanted because the boy had been preparing breakfast in the kitchen. And the slab of bacon was on the counter. This is Gacy's own admission. Probably shouldn't have killed him. Because he, he was cooking me he, breakfast. He was cooking me breakfast. I don't believe any of this. I don't either. But whatever. Yeah, whatever. So for the first time, but certainly not the last, a murder victim of John Wayne Gacy was buried in the mud and muck of the crawl space beneath his house. Gacy said later that the first murder made him realize that killing another person was the ultimate thrill for him. He had stumbled upon a passion for murder and a method of acquiring victims that was almost undetectable. To an ever-increasing level of frustration that will border on psychosis by the time this episode is over, I'm going to circle back to that. Undetectable. Remember we said last week that the cops didn't really take male-on-male sex crimes very seriously. Right. Well, they cared even less when distraught parents called and said that their kids were missing. Yeah. Grab a handful of hair and get ready to pull it the fuck out. Well, I remember even in like this documentary, a lot of it was talking about Right, how they couldn't believe that a man could rape a man. Like a lot of cops, that wasn't a thing. wasn't a thing. They're like, no, defend yourself. Men don't rape men. That's yeah. not a thing. Like, it's absolutely a thing. And your sixteen-year-old is missing. They probably ran away. They'll In the be seventies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was not a big deal. We've talked about that too. Certainly, and that and first, many times that first forty-eight hours is the most critical of finding any missing person. And after that, your the statistics of finding them alive, it, it's insane. Zero. Almost. Gacy found an easy way to make those young men disappear. And it was all in the downtown area of Chicago where he had worked at the as the cook at Bruno's restaurant right there in the loop. I mean, he just drove down to the bus station and talked him into getting into his car. And a lot of times he would identify himself as a cop and give them no choice. Right. It's like get in the car. Get in the car. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason that we have Amber Alerts today is because of the stories of apathy from law enforcement that became publicized after 33 young men never made it home from their trip to Chicago in the 70s. The state of Illinois passed a law in 1984 based on what we are talking about today. And that created Amber Alerts all across the country, Mm -hmm. eventually. We love good cops on this show. Mm-hmm. But we fucking hate bad cops on this show, right? I mean, everybody does. It just makes you sick to hear about it. Six months after his first murder, Gacy married his second wife. Her name is Carol. God love her. And moved her and her two young daughters by a previous marriage into the house. <sighs> 
Casey's mother moved out, got an apartment down the street. Did, uh, question. Did yeah. Carol not know about his jail time for... Um, yes. He a, told her about his jail time, but he fudged the details. She, he told her that he got caught with pornography in his possession. He didn't tell her anything about sexually assaulting a 15-year-old boy. So she didn't know the details. She just knew that he had spent a year in prison. Mm-hmm. He, he blew it off with his JC's story. Ah, I had, I had some porn on me. I had some That's porn. That's how we recruited JC members at the time. Okay, but listen, come on, ladies. Let, let's just think about this for a minute. You got a guy who's telling you he had pornography and he spent a year in jail for pornography, which was a shortened amount of time. Maybe she didn't know that. I don't know, but he did a whole year in jail for pornography and you've got two small little girls and you think this is a good idea. And I'm sorry, I'm not no, being no, fair. I get it. I'm not being fair to Carol, but let's learn from this. Yeah. Let's learn from Carol here, everybody. Learn from Carol. Yeah. Yeah, true. So she moves in with her two young daughters from the previous marriage and everything is going great for Carol. She loves her new life. The only problem she has is the smell from under the house. Oh, no. Yeah. At one point, while Carol was out of town with the daughters visiting her parents, Gacy crawled beneath the house and covered Timothy McCoy's body with concrete to eliminate the smell. And so when she came back, it was like, oh, the smell's gone. Great. Ta-da. Everything is perfect now. So now John Wayne Gacy is living absolutely two lives. He's a murderous sociopath by night. Mm -hmm. But during the day, he no longer works as a cook at the Bruno's restaurant in the Loop. Now he has his own business. Painting, decorating, and maintenance. PDM contracting he has painted on the vans that he uses for his employees. Speaking of those employees... Just like we mentioned last week about the KFC guys, a bunch of teenage boys, that's the same group that he employs to work at his new PDM contracting. Okay. So he's got a bunch of teenagers helping him lay tile, shingle roofs, paint walls, hang wallpaper, whatever. Another return to normal move for Gacy, once he had settled into Chicago, was to get back into local politics just like he had done back in Iowa. He got involved in the community. He had this thirst for popularity and prestige. He hosted parties at his house in Chicago, like themed parties, big barbecue grill, 400 people, the bicentennial in July of 1976, the country's bicentennial, Mm -hmm. a great, huge party. The whole neighborhood was invited over. It was a block party. All the local politicians were there. Everybody was decked out like Benjamin Franklin with the the powdered wigs and the, what do you call those? Three-tiered hat, the, the hats that have, anyway, those. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. Those shitty hats from the revolution. Everybody was wearing those according to the photos that I have seen. When it was cold in the winter, John Wayne Gacy would use his own remodeling equipment to blow the snow out of his neighbor's driveways and off their sidewalks, free of charge. Everybody in the neighborhood loved John Wayne Gacy. More and more, wife number two would recount in later years, Gacy 
was gone more and more often. He was out later and later at night. But he always had a reasonable excuse for his absence. He was dealing with suppliers. He was checking on construction jobs. Or he was going out to check out a place that he might want to uh, uh, like bid, bid on. on later. Yeah. But also John Wayne Gacy's second wife found a stack of magazines once in the kitchen that featured naked men. And a couple of times, she found wallets in the glove compartment of the Oldsmobile that belonged to teenage boys. And what'd she say? Well, there was an argument. There were several arguments. They argued frequently, and they stopped having sex. Gacy even told his wife at one point, admitted that he was bisexual. Now, here's John Wayne Gacy's definition of being bisexual. He said, I'm not a homosexual because a homosexual is a person who loves his own sex. And I'm not that person. I am bisexual. I can randomly have sex with a man or a woman and there's no feeling, there's no love. I just have sex for the sake of having sex. And that's how he justified the difference between what he did and the homosexual that he despised to hear him tell it, that his father despised, that his father despised. Don't forget about all the problems that John Wayne Gacy had with his father from episode one of last week. Mm-hmm. So that's his and, rationale and, and for so, the magazine. Okay, and Carol's fine with this. Like, they can Carol, be married. Right, if you've all seen the, the, the three-part episode, there's an interview with Carol, and she said, he told me that he was bisexual, and we made that work. Yeah. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but right, that's basically what she said. Right, just, you know, well... I mean, what it, it was what it was. Yeah, she had two kids, I guess, to think so, about. Yeah. So they just had an agreement and they, they, had were, an they agreement. were both okay with it. That's correct. Okay, all right. But he's not being truthful about his... Uh, yeah, correct. His other life, yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously. Are you guys ready for a surprise? Are you buckled in? Mm. <sighs> By early 1976, they were divorced. I know. Settle in. Smartest thing. I'm going to give you a second to settle in on that one. But yeah, they got divorced before too long. By the time the ink had dried on the divorce papers, Gacy had murdered his second victim. To date, victim number two has never been identified Mm -hmm. as of Friday. Oh, man. Victim number two was raped and then tortured and then strangled. And then he was buried in the dirt behind Gacy's house where he was building a new barbecue pit, probably for the big bicentennial barbecue that I just mentioned a second ago. When he killed that body, that person fluid leaked out of the boy's dead body and stained Gacy's carpet. And so for as long as Gacy's killing spree lasted after that, he placed either the victim's socks or underwear into his mouth to keep that from happening again. John Wayne Gacy insisted until the very bitter end that he was too busy to be a killer. He was running his contracting business. He was a member of the local Moose Lodge where he found out that he could become a member of the Jolly Joker Clown Club And then he began taking part in community events, parades. Twice a month, he would go to a local hospital 
and entertain children. Oh, my Lord. No. With his handcuff trick and his rope trick. No. And I'm going to circle back to that. Stop. No. And I mean, they didn't do As a, Pogo the Clown. They didn't do a background check. You can't volunteer. It was 1974. The computers weren't a thing. You okay, know well, this. Let me tell you this. You cannot volunteer f- to help um, at a children's hospital or anything like that without going through a thorough background. You know why? John Wayne fucking Gacy. I'm sure. Probably. Have you guys ever heard of Pennywise the Clown? Yeah. Yeah. You know who that was? Mm-hmm. So a clown in a kid's room at a hospital, maybe that's fun, but a clown creeping through a sewer at midnight, scary as fuck. It's all scary to me. And now they're all scary to us. And John yeah. Wayne Gacy and Stephen King are the reasons why. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Where do we send the check for that? Those ruin clowns for everybody. I, I, you know, and I don't know if Sorry, I, Bozo. You know, I loved Bozo the Clown. Yeah. And you know what? That show was based in Chicago in the 70s. Oh, Lord. Yeah. That Bozo the Clown on Sunday mornings when we were kids. Oh, Katie is looking at me like I'm an idiot, and she's right. But the reason <laughs> is because I'm talking about something that you know. Back in the day, Bozo the Clown. He was Clarabelle. Awesome. Yes. <gasps> it was, and they would do a Woody Woodpecker cartoon. It was a great show, yeah. and he just ruined it. For that me. audience of like eight kids. Clapping their asses off. Oh, yeah. Anyways, yeah. But the outward normality among friends and neighbors that Gacy experienced before his capture is pretty much the norm for serial killers. Think of Joseph James D'Angelo, who we discussed earlier, the, the Golden State Killer. He was a husband, a cop, a, a truck driver. A family man. He hid in plain sight for 45 years before DNA evidence reeled him in. You can go back and listen to that from last year if you like. Dennis Rader, the BTK killer. His family was mortified that he was found to have killed 10 people between 1974 and 1991. One of his daughters said later, I can't believe this. He is the man who taught me right from wrong. That's wild plain sight. According to the Serial Killer Information Center at Radford University, only about 13% of serial killers fit the Hollywood profile of the single white male loner in his 20s. And just so there's an exception to prove the rule, uh, grad student Brian Koberger, the Idaho stabbings seems to be that exception. He is innocent until proven guilty. But it seems like the evidence is stacking up against that guy based on what I read this morning before I walked in here. Mm -hmm. So by now, Gacy has killed twice. His marriage is over. He can roam the streets as much as he wants. He found a section of downtown Chicago where the middle class had evacuated during the 60s. What was left there in this rundown area of bars and clubs known as Uptown, ironically, was the fringe of society. The listless, the drifters, the desperate teenage boys looking to make a few bucks just about any way they could. A lot of times that meant anonymous sex with strangers for money. And when they found themselves at John Wayne Gacy's house, First came an excess of alcohol administered by Gacy from the tiki bar in his game room. There's a red flag. 
he did have a creepy little tiki bar in his with his right. You've seen the picture. You saw the picture. Yes, yeah, very nineteen seventies looking. And then there was sex of some type or other, consensual always to hear Gacy tell it. Followed by the handcuff trick. Followed by the rope trick. Followed by underneath the house. What, what if, for whatever reason, he just could not admit that any of these sexual encounters were unconsensual. Like That's true. And I think it's because he doesn't want to seem undesirable or like, of course, of course it was consensual. Part of his psychosis. Yeah. yeah. Surely they wanted, I, I didn't find them, they found me. You know, unlike the men that, the grown men that did survive that you hear tell their tales that, you know, just said they sat there and cried and begged him not to. Yeah. And there yeah, were a few totally, that he let go. Yeah, there yeah, were. It's just totally uh, not what he's saying. I mean, yeah. t- the total opposite. I mean, the, the cops on that documentary will say uh, Gacy was 90% full of shit. Yeah. Sure. Uh, there were, I don't believe that he had consensual yeah. sex with any yeah. of these victims. No, no uh, Detective Beto, uh, the state's investigator on that documentary, he's like, Casey's full of shit. Mm. I don't believe anything he ever said. And they no. knew it immediately. Like, even before yeah. they knew how, what a monster he was, when they just knew they were looking mm. at him for the first crime. Yeah, once he got under the spotlight. They were like, full of shit. Yeah. So, Gacy's third victim, and I'm not going to do all 33 of these victims in case you guys are out there wondering how long is this going to last. It's not going to be everyone. But you know what? I don't think anybody's saying that because okay. one of the reasons that people, you know, listen and tune in is to, that's part of the story. The yeah. victims are part of the story. Well, victim number three had actually worked for Gacy as a contractor or as, as part of his contracting right. firm. He was 18. He was reported missing by his parents on July the 31st, 1975. His car was found parked in the neighborhood around Gacy's house. When the cops finally located it, his wallet was still inside. Because that's a normal thing. Yeah. Gacy told the cops, who came around asking, oh yeah, the kid mentioned something about maybe running away. And that was the end of that investigation. And he knew that. He knew he could say that and the cops would be Now like, is a uh, fantastic time to start pulling out your fucking hair. I don't have enough strands. I gotta keep yeah. it. In December of 1978, after Gacy confessed to the whole thing, Des Plaines police officers asked Gacy to identify the spot where John Bukovich had been buried. He grabbed a can of spray paint off of his shelf, walked to a corner of his garage, made an X on the ground, and said, dig there. Yeah. Let that marinate. Wait, so did he have this garage poured after, or did he... It was he. He dug up. It was a, around the crawl space. He would kind of go. No, this under, is the this is the adjacent garage on the property. Oh, okay. So he, he was like expanding the garage and was about to pour concrete, and, and so he buried them and then poured Bukovich concrete. got buried there, and then the concrete got poured over. As Gacy got more and more brazen with his business of brutality between seventy six and seventy eight, he was never all that far from the police radar. Gacy's name came up several times in regards to missing teenage boys in Northwest Chicago. But always after a bit of superficial digging, the police were always satisfied that Gacy was just an ordinary working class type guy. I mean, not all that ordinary, but okay. Yeah. It was all, it was just another odd coincidence. As the odd coincidences started to accumulate, the hard digging 
was still a couple of years away. Victim number four disappeared the next spring and early April of 76. Years later, that victim's mother told a journalist that she walked the streets at night for years into drug dens, into the bad part of town looking for her son. The cops typically said, ah, just another runaway. He'll turn up. Gacy buried that fourth victim, Daryl Sampson, under the floor of his dining room, which he was remodeling at the time. Victims five and six were both killed on the same night in May of 76. One of them was 14, the other was 15. They had been taken from a video arcade in the uptown area of Chicago. Victim seven was taken in June of 76. And so that's four murders in less than four months with no signs of letting up. Chicago has got a serial killer on their hands. And the cops and the general public, more importantly, perhaps, have no idea that this is happening. Now, there is another hurdle to consider here. Because like we've talked about before with the Golden State Killer, different police jurisdictions in the 70s. There's no computers. It's very confrontational. Nobody wants to cede territory to someone else. So that's another reason why this investigation always lands with a thud because nobody wants to help anybody else. Right. During the Cooks County Sheriff's Department, so you got three, at least three police agents, Displains, Chicago, Cooks County. Nobody's helping anybody. Amidst all of this apathy and confusion, Gacy committed at least five more murders by August of 76. Next to leave us was Jimmy Hackinson, age 16. He had been dropped off in downtown Chicago by his mother to see a rock concert at the Aragon Theater featuring a young Joan Jett before the Blackhearts mm. had formed. He was supposed to call mom afterwards to pick him up. Mom's phone never rang. By the end of 1976, John Wayne Gacy had killed 18 times. The final victim of that year was Gregory Godzik. He was 17 years old, a high school student. He wanted money to buy a car. And so he got a job at PDM Contracting. According to his mother later, he described his job as digging drainage trenches underneath Gacy's home. Two feet wide, six feet long, and two feet deep. Those were the instructions that John Wayne Gacy gave to Greg Godzik to dig in that crawl space, and that turned out to be his own grave. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. Gacy took six weeks off over the Christmas holidays of 76 and then observed the inauguration of Jimmy Carter on January the 20th, 1977 by taking his next victim. After Gacy raped, tortured, and buried victim number 19, John Zick, he changed the VIN number on Zick's 1971 Plymouth and sold it to another part-time employee of his. According to at least one Gacy biographer, Zick had been friends with two other previous victims of Gacy, 
when he went missing. The police briefly followed up on the car, but never bothered to check the paperwork. And another chance to end Gacy's killing spree disappeared under a pile of mud and blood and decomposing bones. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. All right, guys. This week coming up at Easy Street, Tuesday nights are bingo. Wednesday nights, open mic night. Thursday night, we have trivia. Friday night, Jake and Casey duo. And Saturday night, it's the return of the Shane Givens Band. They haven't played in a while, so you're not going to want to miss this one. This episode of True Crime on Easy Street is brought to you by the Chamber of Cherokee County. And they would like to remind you to shop local. Put your money into those local businesses that help you, your clubs, your ball teams, your organizations, all of your sales. They help you. So help them shop local. All right, guys. So one of our uh, most amazing sponsors is the Post-Herald, a newspaper here in Cherokee County. I happen to be the managing editor. And we are doing a subscription drive. And we have talked about this on the show. It's a, uh, it's a, uh, a bull hard cash contest. We're going to give away $500. We're going to announce that next week in the paper. We had dozens of entries to pick all of the bowl games, the big ones. And uh, we've got a tiebreaker that's going to happen. It will all have already happened on Monday night. You're going to listen to this on Wednesday. So the game was two days ago, Georgia versus CCU. But when that happens, we will have a winner and we will announce it on our Facebook page. And you can always subscribe to the Post-Herald by calling 256-927-4476 for as little as $20 a year, depending on your zip code. Call us for details. Welcome back to our show. Thank you so much to all of our sponsors and thank you to you beautiful listeners out there. All right, Scott, finish yeah. this. I'm I'm ready to tell John Wayne Gacy goodbye. Me too. All right. Trust me. Let's do this. This has been two months and I'm just ready to be done with it. I know. I know you are. Yeah. Ugh. So between March of 1977 and the end of 1978, the first Star Wars film had hit the big screen. Also, Smokey and the Bandit, if you're a fan. I love both I of am. those movies. I know, me too. The two biggest films of 77. The Apple II home computer had gone on sale. I bet it was huge. Was it one of those like that took up like the whole, yes. almost a whole it was this table? or big as a refrigerator. <laughs> yeah. And all it could do was add numbers. It was a giant calculator. Yes. The biggest calculator ever. <laughs> and Ted Bundy had killed three young girls in Florida after escaping from a courthouse jail in Aspen, Colorado. I mean, the 70s were just filled with serial killers, huh? Mm -hmm. Big time. Mm -hmm. Before DNA came along. Thank goodness for DNA. Maybe that will help, right? Yes. Not to be outdone during that same time frame, John Wayne Gacy had killed 14 more boys. Quite a few of them, poverty-stricken hustlers, from the more seedy sections of Chicago, as we mentioned. Because that means no one is actively missing. Yeah, did you guys watch uh, Shameless? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Think of those guys. Think of those teenage boys that were on that show. That is the group of people that John Wayne Gacy focused his attention on. Yeah, because no one's going to report them missing. Nobody's going to miss those guys. They have transient lifestyles. They're estranged from their family. A lot that, of them. That's yeah. who John Wayne Gacy went after. Yeah. 
But one 18-year-old who went missing in September of 1977 was the son of a Chicago police officer. Oh, yeah. You messed up there. Not necessarily. His missing persons report was 44 pages long. But ultimately, even that did not matter. Nothing came of it. Yeah. His father was a... Grab your hair again. Grab your hair again and start pulling. Not that John Wayne Gacy's name did not come up over and over and over. Because it did. But one author about this case speculated that Gacy was able to escape for so long simply because he was popular in the neighborhood. He had friends in local politics. He had friends on the police force. No one wanted to harass the local community guy doing well. He had the sense enough to be on good terms with his neighbors. You know, this is something that Dahmer did not have. He did not possess that quality. You know, his neighbor... Knew. Complained and complained and complained. Right. But Gacy doesn't have this happening. No, he's a a pillar of the community. I feel like if Gacy had had not made friends with his neighbors, they would have quickly. Maybe quickly. More quickly. Hopefully. Yeah. Well, nobody knows knows? about that sodomy conviction in Iowa yet. Right. Right. Yet. Okay. All Gacy ever had to do was feign ignorance about the missing youth. The cops knocking on his door. Hey, did this kid used to work for you? I don't know. He said he was going to run away. Investigation over. Gone. But so I guess this is before the days of, you know, sex offender registries and. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a reason we have that stuff now. Yeah. There's a reason for Amber Alerts, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. So like the cop's son, more than a few of those missing were typical teenagers from good homes whose parents were screaming at the police. Yes. Only to be assured that the missing boy would return unharmed. He probably just ran away, ma'am. Don't worry about it. He'll turn up. Mm-hmm. And now to December of 1978. And just about all of those missing boys are going to start to turn up. All in one place. Mm. Robert Peast was the 33rd and final victim of John Wayne Gacy. Gacy had grown so brazen and self-assured of his methodology by the holiday season of that year that he made the mistake that drew the attention of the local police. It was December the 11th, 1978, the same day of the infamous Lufthansa heist at JFK Airport in New York City, committed by gangsters from the Lucchese crime family. And if we don't do that on a future episode of this podcast, I'm quitting on the spot. All right, Katie, note that. (laughs) How to get Scott out. Yeah, that's it. I'm just kidding. At the time, it was the largest ever cash robbery on American soil. It's it's part of the movie Goodfellas. Okay, so that's happening the same time. The same day. Okay. December the 11th, 1978. There's one other thing that happens on that day. It is Robert Peast's mother's birthday this is the day her son goes missing oh that is correct robbie peace was working at the nissen pharmacy in des plaines illinois he was a sock boy there working nights after school and he was working on this monday night when john wayne gacy walked in 
because he had been hired by the owners to do some remodeling. Remember, PDM, contracting. Mm-hmm. Peace overheard Gacy tell someone else in the store that he paid as much as $5 an hour for part-time help, and Peace was making two eighty-five an hour at the time. So he thought, wow, I can get my new camera that I want and my new car that I want when I turn 16 in a few months a lot quicker if I double my salary. He is 15. Bless his heart. Just trying to get a car. Now, he's still at that time is 15, so mom had to come and pick him up after work. That was his ride. And when she showed up at 10 o'clock and he wasn't there, she knew something was wrong immediately because the birthday cake her birthday cake is sitting on the dining room table at home and everybody in the family is just waiting for Rob and mom to get home so they can have the birthday celebration. Oh my gosh. It's not like he ran away from home. Right. And finally, the cops listened to a distraught mother. He's not going to run away. It's It's my my birthday. birthday. Mm -hmm. We have plans. Within hours, the Des Plaines Police Department had gotten a list of everybody who had been in the pharmacy that night. Among them, John Wayne Gacy. Here's a name we keep hearing. And after just a little tiny bit more of police work, tiny bit, Gacy's 1968 conviction for sodomy of a teenage boy had been unearthed. So cops went to Gacy's house once more. Knocked on the door. Wanted to talk to him. Gacy said, I'll be with you when I get a minute. I have a death in the family. He really did have an uncle who passed away that night. It was weird. So he used that as an excuse to push off the cops. Oh, yeah. Ironically, he think he told the police they didn't have any respect. No respect for the dead. Knocking on my door when my uncle has died. Rob Peace's dead body is in his attic at that moment. So the cops start following Gacy immediately, but he eludes them that very night. And what he does is he takes Rob Peace's body out of his attic, puts it in the trunk of his car and drives an hour away to the I-55 bridge over the Des Plaines River and throws Rob Peace's body over the side. How does he elude the cops? Getting in his car and driving. He's got a, he has a couple of cars in his parking lot or in his house, in his driveway. And one of his employees is there. And one of them is a van and he had driven up in the van. So when the van left, the cops think, Hey, Gacy's leaving in the van. They followed the van. Yep. And then he, he sent uh, his employee in the van. He waited and got Rob Peace's body in the trunk of his car and drove away and eluded the cops. I gotcha. And then threw him in the river, which they yes. followed that employee for a while. And then finally, like he, till they figured out and they were like, that's not him. Yeah. So they didn't know that at the time about Peace's body, but they start this sort of surveillance and and Katie's going to mop this up later in just a minute. They called it overt surveillance. It wasn't, they weren't trying to hide. They went up and in plain sight. They knocked on Gacy's door and said, listen, we think you had something to do with this missing boy. We're going to follow you until you fuck up. 24-7. 24-7. Yeah. So they had two 12-hour shifts. Somebody's following from noon to midnight, midnight to noon. They're following it everywhere he goes. All right. Because they're not buying this crap anymore. Nope. Like I said, he managed to elude the cops that first night and dumped Peace's body over the side of the bridge. They didn't know that at the time. 
But he had done that because he had run out of room to bury bodies. Yeah, in the crawl underneath space. his house. Yeah, and now Katie is going to start to pull the final threads that will lead to the final unraveling of the killer clown of Chicago. This is December 11th, and like Scott says, he's he has eluded the police. And on his way back from dumping this body, he gets into kind of a car accident. Yeah. It's December, Chicago, it's snowy, roads are icy. He runs off the road, gets kind of stuck, and he spends time. He actually has a record that come out after another police officer stops to help him because he sees him on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. And he's they're pushing the car. They, they get the car unstuck, but he's covered in mud. The car's covered in mud. And he pulls up to the police station that night. Because he's been asked to come and give a statement. Mm-hmm. But he's out until three in the morning because right. he's stuck in the mud, like mm-hmm. you said, in the snow. And there's no one there to take his statement at yeah. three o'clock. Cops went home before three a.m. Yeah, there's there's no one in this police station. Well, there's the guy at the desk answering the phone. There's no one qualified to take his statement. This there's no detective. Chicago. This is Chicago. Yes, this is Displains. Okay, so it's oh, a yes. smaller Displains Police Department. Smaller yes. area. Okay, and they tell him to wait, but he's like, uh, "I'll be back. I don't have time to wait around." But they. Acknowledge his odd appearance that he's muddy, that his car was muddy. They're like, what? Something yeah. weird there. They're like, he has a butt face and it's muddy. Yes. Right. I wasn't going to start with that, but go ahead. He does. Yeah. He's a butt face. He's a butt face. So a little over a week later on December 20th. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm very angry. I know. A little over a week later on December 20th of 1978, he drives to his lawyer's office. And you can read Gacy's lawyer's version of those events in the 2011 book, John Wayne Gacy, Defending a Monster by Sam Aranti. And as Gacy sits down in Amaranti's office. Am, yeah, Amaranti, yeah. He looks at a copy of the local newspaper with Rob Peace's photo on the front page and he says, well, this boy's dead. Because at this point he's missing. Everybody's looking for him. Then Gacy, he proceeds to tell his lawyer everything. He tells him about uh, all 33 murders. Oh my gosh. They're there for hours. Yeah. I mean, his, I mean, I'm sure his lawyer it has takes told, a minute. He's told his secretary, hold my calls, hold the door. We're buckled in. And he sits there. He tells him that most of the bodies are under the crawl space. He tells him that he's dumped some off of the Desplaines River off that I 55 bridge where he just dumped Rob Peace's body. And it lasted so long that once he's done, he falls asleep on his lawyer's couch. He's just out, and his lawyer's sitting there, probably just head spinning like, well, this is about to be... That was a oh. weird day for that guy. Yeah. His very first client as as an attorney. He had been with the public defender's office, Sam Amaranti. Mm-hmm. So he's just... Went first phone call he got was practice. from John Wayne Gacy. Wow. But yeah. It made his career... Well, yeah. Yeah. But it also made him public enemy. Number two. Uh-huh. Yeah. During mm-hmm. this trial. True. True. And he talks about that in the, in the documentary. Yeah, you saw it. Yeah. yeah. So the reason that they picked uh, John Wayne Gacy up finally, because they, they didn't want to arrest him for some silliness like speeding, because it's just going to sound like they're harassing the guy. But they know they got the right guy. So finally, he pulls into a gas station, his local gas station, and they see him give a couple of uh, marijuana cigarettes to the 
gas station attendant back when everybody still got their gas pumped by someone else. Because yeah, he knew he was being like he surveilled. So and he was, he was like, starting to come apart. Marijuana on me. Yeah. Let me hand it off. And he's starting to come apart. And so they call back into the district attorney's office or the state attorney and say, listen, he's driving like a nut. We know we got the guy. I just saw him give a marijuana cigarette to the gas station attendant. Can we please arrest this asshole? And so they do. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they haul him in. Yep. And then they get a search warrant because they're like, we, we yes. need to get in this guy's house. They're, you know, and the they're mean- looking for Rob Peace at this point. Yes, he's okay. the only person they're concerned with. In the meantime, what is this lawyer doing? He's sitting tight, hanging tight. He's, there's attorney-client privilege there, and he hasn't... He can't do anything. Just is lining up perfectly. His confession to his attorney had nothing to do with them following him or no. getting him the next They're day. looking for Rob Peace. Mm-hmm. They don't know about the other bodies under the house right, at this point. Right, Okay. So his confession to the attorney happens on December 20th. The arrest is December 21st. They get that search warrant later the same day that they take him into custody. And within minutes of the digging, because they go immediately down to that crawl They space. know about the crawl space from a, a previous visit to the house. Okay. They don't find Rob Peast. What they do find is some bones. The first thing they hit are just some bones. And they know this is not Rob because this would have had time for this to have No, happened. Rob Peace went missing on December the 11th. Right. And you're talking about it's December 21st. 21st. So, so no, yeah, he would 10 not days. Be bones. No. So they're like, shit, we've got a bigger problem on our hands than just one missing boy. And I bet they continue to say this as they continue to pull body after body out from under his home. I, there. Well, I, I think if I remember from the documentary, the guy who found the first set of bones mm-hmm. climbed out and called his boss and said, I think we have a basement full of kids here. Yeah. Oh my and, gosh. And, you know, send extra help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Send everybody. Mm-hmm. Once they tell Gacy of what, you know, they found these bones, he waves his Miranda rights and he begins to just confess everything. He's just he's just saying. He's like, well, it's almost like he's proud of what he's accomplished and gotten away with, right, mm-hmm. Katie? Yeah. Wouldn't you say that? Mm-hmm. I think that's a big theme of his. When you listen to his interviews, he's he's very proud of himself. He likes yeah. the idea of thinking that he out. Well, think about when he when he was into JCs and local politics, and he knows everybody, and he used to tell kids, "Yeah, I know the mayor. I know the sheriff." It's just that big man syndrome that he had, and even on the confession that eventually got him on death row. Mm -hmm. He's just so proud of himself. Yes. The cops say that he didn't show any remorse or sympathy. The confession lasted hours because he was giving details. He smoked cigars and he laughed throughout his story. He just, it was just like he was telling a tale. Do you know how hard it, it has to be to be these police officers and these investigators who sit in that room with him and they listen to this and they're having to contain themselves and not respond to this so that he will just keep singing. I thought about that when I was watching the documentary because all of these officers and we've all watched it, right? Mm -hmm. But they're so, they're just so staid and calm and they're describing these horrible things that they've sat across a table as close as I am to you, Kelly, Mm -hmm. and listen to John Wayne Gacy describe and just kept a straight face and just had to keep the conversation going yep. to keep him talking. And in their mind, they're going, what the 
After he's confessed to all these murders, one last trip for Gacy was to show the Desplaines police where he had dumped the body of Rob Peace because that is who the search warrant was for. That mm-hmm. is the that is who he is being held to look. That's that's who he's being held for at the moment. Yeah. And that was all. Yeah, that. they still don't know about everything else. Well, maybe at that point they they're, do. Maybe they have, they, do. they have. But that's not why he was there. They've turned over bones. They still yeah. have to find Rob Peace's yes. body. Yes, because. You know, I guess it could have been someone else. You know, if they, if he's not admitting to it, but he admits to it. And he takes them to the I-55 bridge and says his body was dumped right here. They look and they look and they don't, they don't find him immediately. It takes several months. His body is not found until April of 1979. It's pretty, pretty far downstream at that point. And over the next week, 26 bodies are found under the crawl space. Three more elsewhere on the property. And like many had ropes around their necks still. Like he didn't even take the ropes off their necks as he's dumping them wherever he's putting them. He's quickly indicted on seven murder charges and aggravated kidnapping, which is of Rob Peast. And they still haven't found his body at that point. Right. And that's on January 8th, 1979. And then the Cook County Grand Jury ups the murder charges to 33 by April when they find Rob's body and they've got all these other bodies identified. Not all of them identified. No, but, no, but, but, but found mm-hmm. in the crawl space. They're found and, and to this day there are still, are there five unidentified? As far as I know, it's five. They identified, the, the last one they identified was actually in 2021. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah, DNA. Mm-hmm help to identify another. I think it's five that are still unidentified. These 33 murder charges in 1979 were the most ever attributed to a single killer in U.S. history at that time, which is just insane. Like I said, the 70s were the decade of serial killers. And yeah. here, John Wayne Gacy is beating them all out by a landslide. We've been living in the 70s on this podcast for a lot of the time that we've been doing it. And sadly, that's where they all inhabit. Yep. As the trial begins in 1980, Amaranti decides on an insanity defense since Gacy's confessed to everything. So his only real shot is to say, well, you can't say he didn't do it. You just got to say he was nuts. And when does Gacy change everything and start saying, well, I don't really know if I did it. After he's convicted. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) After after they uh, point him towards the gallows and give him a shove. So he's trying to save his own. Yeah, yeah, sure. Is this to yeah. save him? His from own the death butt penalty? face. That's exactly oh. right. Anyways. Because after you know, spoiler months, alert, that didn't work. Yeah, months and months of motions and psychological evaluations. Trial begins February sixth, nineteen eighty. The jury pool is from a city about ninety minutes from Chicago because the press coverage was so crazy in the immediate city of Chicago. They tried to get a little further out of the city, but by this point, I mean he's. A it's a worldwide story. story at this point, but they reach out into this uh, city in, wait for it, Winnebago County, Chicago, uh, Illinois. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that, <laughs> that that was a thing. I yeah. just thought it was what RVs were called when I was a kid, <laughs> but apparently it's a county in Illinois, but they, it was Rockford, Illinois, they reached out and got a bunch of jurors and brought them in, right, Katie, yeah. to Chicago and sequestered them. Yes. Which, if you don't know what that means, means that they made them stay in a hotel. Got a really nice hotel room, but they couldn't read the newspapers. You can't. There's no, no TV, no newspapers, no outside communication. No internet. Which no Google. Wasn't a thing at the time yeah, anyway, right? but still couldn't do it. You don't go home until the trial's over. Yeah. 
which in this case was five weeks, five weeks of them away from their families. Having to listen to these details mm-hmm. every single day. If I'm a if I'm a member of, of the jury, I'm getting madder and madder and, and sadder. I mean, yeah. I'm just, I'm ready to get to when do we go back to the room? Well. That's that's where I'm at if I'm if I'm a member of this jury. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because the state announces it's seeking the death penalty, which was just mm-hmm. reinstated in Illinois in 1977. And there's just overwhelming evidence by the prosecution. I mean, we've got the confession. We've got the bodies under his house. We have he had a I mean, he drew a map of the crawl space and he could tell you where these where these yeah, boys were. Nailed it. He drove them to the bridge where he dumped the other bodies off of. Yeah, there were there was a pile of old identification uh, driver's licenses mm-hmm. and IDs from half of, I don't want to say half, from several of the boys, from John Zick and mm-hmm. John Bukovich and Greg Godzik, and not Rob Peace, but because he was so new to the list, but right. a lot of those kids, he had their stuff hidden he took trophies like every serial killer does. Yeah. The defense said he was insane. He was haunted by physical abuse from his father and afflicted by an undiagnosed mental illness that plagued him. And he, he didn't know he did all these. He didn't know he committed all these crimes. Mm. This was not John Gacy. Who and committed and, these and the state, on the other hand, said, now, wait a minute. No. He planned it. He hid the evidence. He kept trinkets mm-hmm. he buried their bodies under the house obviously this asshole knew what he was doing mm-hmm. so after five weeks the jury takes two hours to find him guilty on all counts probably just signing stuff but right? probably yeah. he, he, he has <laughs> to vote on all yeah. 33 counts just that's signing. what that's what took so long yeah, yeah. 33 counts say, yes guilty i think there were actually there were 33 counts of murder in the, the two more counts it had something to do with robert peace whose body aggravated kidnapping. aggravated kidnapping and whatever so it was 35 counts but yeah that's just that's just paperwork right that's you just need can we get a notary in here this isn't going to take long so but I want to talk about the closing argument by the prosecution. Mm-hmm. And so yes. this is so, um, this is like theatrics. So what he does Very is well he done. brings in, they had a, what did they have in the courtroom? What they, they took, the way that you accessed John Wayne Gacy's beneath his house was, it was a crawl space and there was a, a trap door in one of his closets in the front of the house. And so what they did was they eventually took that entire house apart on the inside. That's the only way they could dig out all those bodies. They pulled up the floors mm-hmm. and eventually they, they knocked the whole thing down. They were kind of getting claustrophobic. Yeah. There's only like a two and a half foot space underneath. Mm-hmm. So what they did was they took the house apart and when they, when the prosecution presented all of its evidence, they had taken the section of the closet floor and that was the trap it, door, and they put it in the in the courtroom. Okay, so they put it in the courtroom, and they sit. They set that piece of of wood there in front of the jury. Yeah, just think of a, of a had, three foot by six foot door that you could open up with a hinge, and mm-hmm, it's made but of it's wood. Open, but it's open. Yes, and so they sit that there, and they. There is a board that has a picture of every victim on it, and mm-hmm. while he is giving his closing arguments. He's pulling these photos of these victims off of this board and he's ripping them and he's throwing them into this yeah. crawl space hole. Yeah. Doing, doing, and showing, illustrating to the jury what John Wayne Gacy had done to each of these people. What he thought of these people. Look at the mercy. Yeah. He's shown Rip, them. Throw it in the hole. And they're just going everywhere. And, and it's um, basically saying, 
why show look at the mercy he showed them show him the show same him the same thing. amount and of it's mercy it's all very like sarcastic and the defense lawyer says i knew it was over. Oh, yeah. When yeah. He well, did if that, he didn't know it before then, he sounded a very good attorney. Well, but yeah. He said he kind of knew yeah. it was over, but he really knew it was over yeah. when he did that mm-hmm. in front of the jury. And then two hours later, mm-hmm. they're called back. Mm-hmm. They they had just gone to a bar and, and had their first drink. It's the bar where all the, uh, it's right around the corner from the big, uh, courtroom there in downtown Chicago. It's where all the attorneys and defenders and whatever go. And they're expecting to wait a while. Yeah. And then they don't even finish a drink Mm -hmm. and they're called back. Something you wouldn't see happen in Alabama. No. (laughs) Although there is one right across the street from the courthouse here in town, as it turns out. And just right down the street, Easy Street is not very far away (laughs) at all. So they they get called back immediately. (laughs) Almost. Yeah. Because as I said, if I'm one of those jury members, I'm saying, all right, do you want to be the jury member that sits in there and says, says, well, I'm not so sure. No. (laughs) Well, and that was the thing, Katie, right? I mean, the, the, the part of the prosecution's argument was, look, the way that the law works in Illinois, if you say this guy is not guilty by reason of insanity, they're going to put him in a mental hospital and he could be out in six months walking the streets again. And, and and there was a big argument with the judge and um, amongst the lawyers about how much they could tell the jury about right. what the consequences of their decision would be. Yeah, because we, he said to strike that. That yeah, guy did. Right. They had already heard it. Yeah. Which we've we've ran across that in the Reverend mm-hmm. yeah. episode too. Yeah. About good point. You know, once once that doctor clears you, and now it's state by state, it's different. That, that's, that's why it's they state have law, some right? Jurisdictional. You can't know the consequences. You you need to assess the individual right. and are they this or are they that. You I can't say just, know the, just light them up and be done with it. So, which is what they, I know that well, they yeah. light them up. Well, yeah. But, but well, I know that the def- defense attorney was upset about that because he, he mentions that in this documentary uh, that, you know, he said that they heard it. Judge said strike it, but you can't unhear it. And can't unring that bell. Yeah. Gacy gripes about that too. Yeah. That big his, letter to his to the judge mm-hmm. uh, towards the end of the trial. Guys, if, if you're interested in this case at all, go and find that on Netflix. It's called, what is it? The Conversations with a Killer. Conversations with a Killer, the John Wayne Gacy tapes. If you just search mm-hmm. John it's three Wayne hours. Gacy on Netflix, it'll pop up. Yeah. yeah just So yeah. anyway, so a guilty in two hours. He's guilty on everything. Mm-hmm. And he is sentenced to death. To death. It, he was sentenced to the electric chair, but by the time he was actually... Uh, put to death, mm-hmm. the state of Illinois had changed from the electric chair to lethal injection, right? And what, when was he executed? May 10th, 1994. And he was executed via was, lethal injection. Mm-hmm. There were, he was 52 years old and there was a crowd of thousands outside the Stateville Correctional Center near Chicago, cheering and waving signs that read, kill the clown. And, I mean, there were people tailgating. There were people, they had covers. Oh, it was a big they event. Had, you know, the same with Bundy. If anybody ever deserved to go, it was John Wayne Gacy. And uh, and then one guy did say, and I know that they, they said this in the uh, Dahmer uh, show on Netflix, that his last words were, kiss my ass. Uh, but this guy said, I think there's some know, conjecture about that. He sat in the room yeah. and well, saw the whole execution and he did not hear 
Gacy. I wouldn't that. be surprised based on what I have heard about John Wayne Gacy on the mm-hmm. tapes that he recorded yeah. himself on that Netflix series, if those were his last words. But but some people are saying they didn't hear that. Yeah, some people are saying right. he said that. So there's put a put a little star by that. Yeah, we're not sure that that was his. Those were his last words. So nobody cares what his last words. He had a fantastic last meal. Among it was fried chicken, since he had worked at KFC. KFC. Oh god! But uh, I think it was uh, fried shrimp, KFC, or fried chicken, fried shrimp, um, key lime pie. I don't even care. I don't either, but, you know. Forget it. Why did he want, you know what? How about, hey, here's a bowl of gruel, asshole. I mean, why And no spoon. Eat it with your fingers. You're going to be dead in an hour. I've never understood that, why we grant this amazing last meal. And I think there, because of- I think because there's still humanity left in this world, and it's even the jailers. You remember when we talked about um, the the killers of the clutters? Mm Mm-hmm. Those jailers were interviewed in a documentary that I saw who spent the last four years of their lives as their jailers on death row. And, you know, they were saddened by the fact that the, they weren't killers to those guys. Yeah, but those guys were completely different than who we're talking about. I know, but I'm, 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 and maybe that's something to not even include, but just, I mean, there's humanity left still. And I understand that, but I think there have been some who have exploited it so much that they've dialed, they've had to dial it back. Yeah. There have been individuals who have just, you know, ordered a bunch of crap and then not touch. Yeah, you're not other. flying in lobster tails from Alaska. Yeah, and that's and you know what? To me, can you slap the victims' families in the face any more than using their tax dollars to give this individual yeah. this meal of their choosing? I'm really, down. Can you slap them in the face any more? I'm that? down with a bowl of gruel and no spoon. I'm Seriously. down with a fast or that. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to be dead soon want, anyway. This is so terrible. I mean, this is called harder, but it's like, do you need food on your stomach before this happens? I mean, yeah. you're just... Yeah, you're just going to have to clean that up. Uh, mm. I'm, I'm, a ter- I'm terrible. I'm sorry. No, no. I, listen, I agree. it really ticks me off about I that. And, and, and I just feel like that's an additional... To be the bleeding heart liberal that I am, I am down with the death penalty. If it's, if it's, if it's, uh, if it's administered properly and correctly, and that's the problem, right? We've seen so many stories through the years where some guy who was on death row turns out to be innocent once DNA evidence gets involved. If it's dead, solid, perfect, certain, light him up tomorrow. I'm down with that. Well, but let's not kill one innocent person. Sure. In the in the rush to justice, I I, I understand the appeals I process. I, we're in total agreement on this, and I believe in the appeals process, and I, I think that it's there. Yeah. It should be there because I agree. There, it's terrible when we you hear these time after time where the the, the individual was innocent. Yeah, and that's yeah, thirty that's, years on death row and terrible. Everybody that's knew it was an hour away, but it yeah. took DNA evidence to convict someone else, and now he's out. And that, yep. something, yeah. So. Um, but I just, I don't know. And, and again, maybe it's because it's it's Gacy and he's just so mm-hmm. not likable. Are you going to say butt face again? I'm not going to say that again. <laughs> it's true though. <laughs> it is. Anyway, so that's, I think that's why I get on, I get on my high horse a little bit. Just That's okay. When you see these documentaries and you see these families and you see the people who have suffered because of this and then you're like. 33 families, at least, mm-hmm. that we know of. And probably yeah, more terrible, terrible. that it never attributed. It's such a domino effect. It's a snowball of the it, the 
how it just continues. It, it ruins their lives. It ruins, you know, their uh, you know other people's generations lives around them. Generations of lives that that's going to be a story that is told at family reunions. That's horrible for decades. Oh yeah, uh, your aunt so and so or your uncle so and so isn't here because when he was eighteen, he was murdered by John Wayne Gacy. He was one of the bodies they found. And that story is going to perpetuate for until it dies out. I mean, no pun intended, but Ugh. that is going to affect families for hundreds of years, a hundred years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, well, Scott, thank you for um, dealing with this Ugh. mess for a, a month. I'm has taking a the day, month? I'm taking the rest of the day off. <laughs> you are should. You, you, you should. Um, so we have uh, something coming new for you in the in the future <gasps> episodes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm excited have, about this. Yeah. So get ready. Next week we'll have a little uh, surprise for you. And we got a new segment, like a little a no, short. We have a new segment coming up. So it's like if I'm watching the Tonight Show with Stephen Colbert, and before he gets to the guests, he has a little thing, a little. Vignette of information. Was it? I thought Jimmy Fallon was Tonight Show. Oh, that's actually Jimmy Fallon. Uh, Stephen Colbert is uh, Late Show. Oh, okay. So, but yeah, it'll be a segment, and it's going to be you know the truth is definitely stranger than fiction. Let me. Just is that what we're that. calling it? That's no, not going to fit on a T-shirt. That. I thought we were going to sell T-shirts. We don't have to call it that, but it's it's you're not going to believe some of these. Things. How about WTF? <laughs> definitely. Okay. You'll be asking that. Make us, uh, make us love you on Facebook and Twitter and Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review or you're dead to us. No, you're not. Okay. Just, just we... keep your four stars in below to yourself. Yep. Yeah. But give us all that five-star love. We, we enjoy that quite a bit. Thank you so much. Good night, everybody. <laughs>